When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcast presented by at&t connecting changes everything brought to you by toyota let's go places welcome to forward thinking hey there and welcome to forward thinking the podcast that looks at the future and says i work in the sewer it's a very hard job you know they don't hire just any old slob I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkabun. And I'm Joe McCormick. And you know, guys, recently I have been going back and watching The X-Files. Okay. I it's, think it's I see pretty, where this It's a pretty good thing to watch. It's on Netflix right now. Uh-huh. Yes. But some of my favorite episodes of The X-Files are the ones where Mulder and Scully end up descending into a sewer. Oh, man. But Fluke Man. One Fluke of my man. favorite episodes of all time. That's maybe my favorite monster design I can think of yeah, that I've guess... seen yet. He looks he looks kind of like a like an amphibian mummy. It's my yeah. second favorite monster design in X-Files. But I don't know if you've gotten to the, my favorite. And we'll talk about that some other time. Okay. Well, and he was played as a guest star by Darren Morgan, the amazing writer. Oh yeah, he he wrote all my favorite episodes. Yep. What uh, what's the title of that episode? The host. The host. Anyway, 
<laughs> it got me thinking about sewers. Okay. Though that's not the reason we're doing this episode today. We're going to talk about sewers. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about sewers because I recently saw yet another production of Les Miserables, but just two different pathways to the same destination. Oh, wait, no, hold on. I thought you were making a slight against Les Mis as a production, but no, you're talking about the scenes in the sewers <laughs> yeah, under Paris. Yeah, Tenardier has the song yes. Dog Eats Dog in the sewers. While he's raiding bodies in the sewers. Yeah, it's a very heartwarming love song. You know, there are a lot of things people don't like to think about yet are absolutely crucial to our quality of life. Yeah. And like, also to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, like, where your meat comes from yep. or where your sewage goes when you flush it. And it matters, but it matters precisely because you don't want to have to think about it or deal with it yourself. You mm-hmm. want to be able to get mm-hmm. on with your life without worrying about what's going to happen to human waste. Right. You don't want to think about the possibility of having to take a job as a nightman. Right. That, those would be the the uh, people who were hired in, uh, in pre-plumbing days to go and muck out cesspits with buckets and then take them away from cities. Oof. Yeah, yeah. If, if you've ever seen anything kind of like that on, on Micro's Dirty Jobs, then... Uh, yeah. Then, then th- that that is a by far more pleasant experience than what used to go on before yeah. modern sewage. Right. Well, the first point about this is that you should be thankful and appreciative of your local sewage and water treatment workers. Yes, thank you. But the second main point is that the history of how we deal with sewage is remarkably interesting. Yeah, fascinating, really. In 19th century London, I want to tell you this story. In 19th century London, after the adoption of water closets around the city, sewers that were originally designed to allow rain runoff to drain into the Thames, the river that runs through the center of London, Mm -hmm. suddenly started filling up with human waste. And for for that and various reasons, all of this human waste was suddenly running into the river in the center of town. Yeah. So major river... The 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 heart of London, mm-hmm. Parliament is built right along the Thames. <laughs> exactly right. So in the summer of 1858, the stink of the river got so bad that the members of Parliament could not put up with it. They had to <laughs> they had to soak the curtains of the windows of Parliament with calcium hypochlorite, the stuff you put in a swimming pool, mm-hmm. you know, oh chlorine goodness. powder, uh-huh. to try to protect their delicate little nostrils from the poop smell. But within a couple of weeks, Parliament was churning out legislation to modernize the sewage system of London. So that, and this event was known as the Great Stink. If there's a lesson to be learned from this podcast, y'all, it's if you want something done, fill a politician's room with poop. Poop smell. Not, yeah. not poop. No, it doesn't have to be poop. I'm just, you no, know. The, the, OK, the broader takeaway is <laughs> if you want something done in a society, make it personally unpleasant to the politician. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, the so how do you revolutionize a sewage system in a big city like London? Well, it was an impressive engineering project, and it was taken on by a guy named Joseph Basil Getty, I think. I'm not sure quite how you pronounce his name, but it's 
B a z a l g e t t e. I can I can guarantee you the way that the Brits pronounce it is totally different from wherever that native, <laughs> wherever wherever that that name is native to. Mm-hmm. And he was the head engineer of London's Metropolitan Board of Works. So Basil Getty oversaw the construction of drainage systems that interlocked throughout the city, and they would divert waste away from London and into a downstream estuary. So all of the human waste is draining away from the city instead of into the center of it. Directly through it, yeah. Uh, So that was especially bad, by the way, when they were draining into the river because they were also getting their drinking water from the river. Right. And this was the time of cholera outbreaks. Yeah, Yeah, there was actually... uh, uh, I, in the article you cite, there was a, an illustration that an artist made at the time of the Thames showing uh, London its children, and its children were three diseases, one of which was cholera. Yeah, that's right. And actually, that article I, I want to cite because where I read about this was in a Slate Atlas Obscura article that was mainly highlighting actually how beautiful some of the pumping stations constructed during the sewage renovation were. And looking at these pictures, there are some truly gorgeous places in London that were created to funnel human feces. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I, I'm uh, not kidding. They are beautiful. I, I've oh, seen yeah. them. They they do look really amazing. You can actually tour some of them. In fact, one of them is uh, rentable. You can rent it <laughs> for for parties, for parties, or for. And I'm I'm quoting the article. I don't know if this is actually on the website for the the. Uh, the pumping station for viral videos. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I see what they did there. One of the other funny things is that the equipment at some of these pump stations, well, they, they ran on steam. This uh-huh. is Victorian era, so it was all steam pumps. Right. And at one location, Crossness, the pumps were named after the royal family. So <laughs> each of the, they had the Queen Victoria pump and the Prince Consort pump because uh, royals are used to pushing crap around, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was funny too. But no, well, the, the the pumps themselves are enormous, mm-hmm. which not a big surprise when you consider what job they have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also steam technology, uh, a little bit more clunky. Yeah, and the the design of the actual stations has kind of this Moorish uh, patterns worked into the yeah, it's the kind walls of Byzantine and, and mm. beautifully painted. It's it's remarkable that something that you would think most people would never, ever see is still so ornate. (laughs) Victorians. Yeah, that's the way the Victorians did things, y'all. Well, I do think it's very impressive. And it it gets one thinking about how monumental this task is of removing all of the waste that we produce and don't want to see and don't want to smell and don't want to think about. And still have to get rid of in some way. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and so taking all that away in a way that's efficient, effective, doesn't break down, doesn't stink up the place, and doesn't cause disease and unsanitary conditions. Sure. And so that kind of brings us up to, well, so how do we do that now? Like, what's our current state of affairs with with, uh, sewer systems? And it really depends, um, actually. There are a lot of sewer systems out there, especially with older cities, where the sewer systems haven't really been updated that much since they were first built. Um, in fact, our city, Atlanta, it's not that old of a city, especially if you consider that it was, it was burned down at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the sewer system still is 
in some places in badly need of uh, repair, maintenance, upgrading, that kind of thing. Um, in fact, so much so that there have been some really well-publicized criticisms of the sewer system here in Atlanta and how badly it needs to re- improve. Um, there was a deadline for the city to finish mandatory upgrades, which was a federal mandate because of the water quality in the Chattahoochee uh, and uh, other rivers around the Atlanta area as well. The mandate said that by July 1st, 2014, this big list of upgrades had to happen. It was not going to happen by July 1st, 2014. And so the city applied for an extension. And after some debate, the judge granted it. And now uh, the deadline is 2027 <gasps> to get those mandatory updates uh, upgrades in place. And according to the city, the real reason an extension was needed in the first place, the reason why the upgrades had not happened was due to financial constraints. They just didn't have the money in the budget to dedicate to sewage system upgrades. Um, this was despite the fact that the sewage rates in Atlanta increased significantly over the last several years. Uh, I think it originally was somewhere around $60 a month and went up to like 150 a month for some places. Hmm. And uh, there's a fear that after 2016, they're going to go up again in order to try and make these uh, mandatory uh, upgrades happen on schedule, even as far out as 2027. So this is a monumental task. Uh, these are enormous infrastructure pieces that are not they're they're hard to access, right? Oh, they're, right. They're right. underground, mm-hmm. so that doesn't make it any easier. And they're everywhere, so it's tough. Um, and in fact, Atlanta still has some combined sewer lines, which are not a good idea. You want to have separate sewer lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, combined sewer lines essentially means that the sewer lines you have for your wastewater, your human waste, and the sewer lines you would have to deal with runoff, like rainwater, or if a water main were to break or something that they're combined into one system. And that means if it's a really heavy rain, that system can overflow, which means Mm. untreated waste can seep into the water table. That makes me wonder if that has anything to do with if you're out taking a walk after a very heavy rain in Atlanta and you sometimes smell sewagey smells. That would likely be the problem, that these are uh, pipes that have overflowed and they are this combined sewage type. Not all neighborhoods in Atlanta still have these. A lot of them have been upgraded, but there's still some historic neighborhoods that have not yet been upgraded. And by the way, I know I'm talking a lot about Atlanta. This is not unique to Atlanta. This is just an example of a problem that lots of cities have. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are a lot of cities that after a hard rain, you might be familiar with certain stinky kind of sewagey smells. And it's probably because they, too, have some combined sewer lines and they have this overflow issue. Uh, now, their basic structure of a sanitary sewer, also sometimes called a foul sewer, which is funny because yeah. those seem like contradictions, <laughs> yeah. sanitary and foul. Um, it's a series of underground tunnels and passageways that serve as a transportation system for sewage, for wastewater uh, and human waste. You can think of sewers kind of like a tree. So the pipes that go from your home are like the twigs that meet up with larger pipes in a neighborhood. Those would be the branches. Mm-hmm. Those eventually empty out into the main sewer lines, also called the trunk mains. So that's the main, the, the largest ones, usually several feet in diameter. Mm-hmm. Um, those lead to water treatment plants, and we'll get more on those in a second. Uh, but this isn't all just moving due to gravity. No, no. Uh, mostly you 
try to design a sewer system so that gravity does as much of the work as possible. Sure. So you would normally put whatever, whatever treatment facility is at the lowest end of an elevation and let gravity do a lot of the work for you, but that's not always possible. And it's, you know, it's not always convenient. Atlanta is a city that has lots of hills in it. It's not always easy for you to direct waste to go specifically where you want it to go. Sometimes you have to give it a little help. And so there are pumps or there are lifting stations that will continue to move wastewater and waste along to get to the destination. Um, so depending upon the the geographic nature of the city and also the ground underneath it, right? If you hit like really rocky ground, then that, that presents a problem. Um, you, ha- you may have to have pumps to f- uh, facilitate this. Now, the sewers are covered. That means that the components are almost all underground, with the exception of the wastewater treatment plants. And uh, those are in sealed pathways. And that's to limit any interaction between the sewage and the environment, because that is a bad thing. You Mm -hmm. don't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's very different from the open sewers that preceded these kind of systems, which were obviously... uh, uh, you know, breeding grounds for disease and could cause lots of issues, not just quality of life, but I mean, could be a, a, a significant health risk factor mm-hmm. in a city. So uh, the sewage ends up heading toward some sort of wastewater treatment facility. And Hopefully. Yes. Yeah. In, in developed countries, you usually have like some sort of wastewater facility uh, that is working on um, – some scale of sophistication. There are, generally speaking, three different uh, processes you can go through in order to to remove waste from water and treat it. Mm-hmm. And depending on the sophistication of the plant, it may do one or two or all three of those. And they are in a specific order. So uh, they actually have names of primary, secondary, and tertiary. Um, and you want this because if you don't treat the wastewater, it doesn't just smell bad. Like we said, it causes disease. There are a lot of uh, mm-hmm. types of bacteria that can be found in human waste, including stuff like E. coli. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you yourself aren't sick, you can have bacteria in your in, in the waste you produce that could make people sick. Um, and organic material in wastewater would end up being like a uh, big old buffet feast for all sorts of bacteria. And that bacteria in turn consumes oxygen while it's eating the organic matter. Now, if that organic matter happens to be in water, that means the uh, the oxygen supply of that water gets depleted, which means anything living in that water, like fish, have less oxygen available to them. So they could actually suffocate in their own environment. Um, also, wastewater has nitrogen and phosphates in it. That can end up uh, promoting the growth of algae, which can block sunlight. It can also foul waterways. Mm-hmm. So that's an issue. And uh, this this can become a catastrophe, right? This can end up causing enormous issues uh, all along the, the way, not just for people, but for the, the general uh, the whole uh, ecosystem. E- yeah, ecosystem around the city. Yeah. So these wastewater plants, like I said, have these three main methods of treating the the stuff that comes out through the sewers. Yeah, so I'm going to guess the first method has something to do with those big pools we see around the water treatment plants. You would be correct. Yeah. So, uh, now, have you ever lived in a place that had a septic tank? Yeah. I have. I, I have. You, Joe, or have you always lived in a place that had sewer yeah, systems? I think we always had sewer systems. You're lucky. Uh, septic tanks, no fun. But the way a septic tank works is, that in general, the same way that the primary means of 
uh, of removing waste from wastewater works in that it allows solid waste to settle at the bottom. Anything that is lighter than water floats on the top in what is called scum for obvious reasons. Hmm. And then the water in the middle is relatively free of waste. I say relatively because <laughs> there's still bacteria. There's still other things like phosphates and nitrates in there. Um, and so you can treat that water usually with something like chlorine and kill off a lot of that and allow the water to pass through the system. So septic tanks, a lot of them are designed to drain, but they retain the solid wastes and the scum. Uh, it's just the water that they allow to go through if they, in fact, they can be treated and then eventually you have to have someone come in and pump out all the solid waste that accumulates because it will eventually get to a level that you have to have that happen. Uh, similar to that is this primary treatment approach where these large pools are where it allows organic matter to sink to the bottom. Uh, scum floats to the top. And then the water will flow into a, a, a secondary holding pool. And this process is repeated as it goes from pool to pool each stage removing more and more of this particulate matter, mm -hmm. the poo, in other words. Huh. And, it, and it gets rid of, of quite a lot of it, really. Yeah, quite a lot of it, although not as much as you might want before discharging <laughs> it into your local water supply, because it can be around half total of all the solids, organic material, and bacteria from wastewater. So 50%. Now, keep in mind that there are a lot of wastewater plants that this is their only real means of treating the wastewater. There are more sophisticated plants that then have a secondary approach, which involves removing more organic materials and nutrients by introducing bacteria to the water on purpose. So this is still within the water treatment plan. It's not released out into the wild yet. They use aerated tanks because, again, the bacteria need oxygen as well. And they allow the bacteria to just chomp down on all that organic matter that's inside there. And then they move that water to settling tanks to separate the bacteria from the water because you don't want to release the bacteria out into the wild. And that approach can remove up to 90% of the solids and organic materials in wastewater, which, again, you have to treat with, like, chlorine or something, and then you release it out. Mm -hmm. The third stage is the tertiary treatment. <laughs> uh, yeah, very easily easy to remember because, you know, if they have all three, it's primary, secondary, and tertiary. Tertiary, there are actually a couple of different approaches to it, but in general, it's using more chemicals to remove stuff like nitrogen and phosphorus from the water and also could include uh, filtration systems to clean the water as much as possible before, again, discharging it. So uh, in developed nations, you usually see ones that have at least two, if not all three of these. Some of them may only have one, but they're all used to remove as much waste as possible. Now, here's the thing. You remove all that solid waste. You allow it to settle at the bottom. You still got to do something with it. Yeah. You know, it can't just sit there forever. Plasma waste converters. That's what I said. Yeah. Plasma <laughs> oh, I'm waste sorry. I shouldn't have still stolen your thunder. No, no, it's perfect. <laughs> that would, that would be ideal if you could, if you could create a plasma waste converter facility. Now, granted, ideally you would have a plasma waste converter facility that was adjacent both to a wastewater treatment plant and a landfill, <laughs> uh <-huh>. which <laughs> otherwise would be the worst neighborhood in town. But <laughs> but this would allow you to do things like take that organic waste, put it into a plasma waste converter, which would then plasmify the material. It would gasify it because it's, it's carbon-based. It's organic. Uh, that gas could be used to create syngas, which is a fuel that you could use to generate electricity. 
uh, possibly even enough electricity to keep running the plasma waste converter if you had enough material to put into the furnace. You probably wouldn't with a waste management facility because you wouldn't be removing the solid waste that frequently, I would imagine. You would allow it to accumulate a little bit. Uh, But with a handy-dandy landfill. Yeah. With a landfill next door, then you could just start mining the landfill for fuel. This is not how we deal with solid waste right now, by the way. We mostly just dump the solid waste in a landfill or we incinerate it. Both of those obviously have environmental impact. Yes. uh, Less environmental impact than just letting it hang out in the water. Yeah. But still, and and different from that too, but still, yeah, yeah, still uh, agreed. It is not the same at all as just letting the waste flow into the rivers of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. So this is all what's going on right now in developed countries. But what about in developing nations? Yeah. So for billions of people, this is a real current issue, a a serious problem. There, There are more than 2 billion people who do not have access to sanitary uh, waste treatment uh, infrastructure at all. Um, a lot of developing countries lack any sort of organized sewer system, or they might have open sewers. And as we've established, those are ongoing health hazards. Uh, there are a lot of charities that are dedicated to trying, uh, well, not just charities, but foundations and organizations that are dedicated to trying to make a difference in this and to create Ways for uh, various nations to create to to build these infrastructures, these sewer infrastructures and, and treatment facilities. Mm-hmm. So there's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You probably have heard of Bill Gates, one of the creators of Microsoft. Um, and you know he is he and his wife have famously dedicated billions of their dollars to various causes. And the Bill and Gates Melinda uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation rather has spent a lot of this time and money on. Uh, trying to bring clean sewer infrastructure to developing nations. Uh, their webpage points out, and th- these are are facts that come from the United Nations, mm-hmm. that there are about two and a half billion people in the world who practice open defecation or lack adequate sanitation facilities. So two and a half billion people. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine living where we live. So comfortably, yeah. And having access to that all our lives. It mm-hmm. is, it's hard to imagine that, I mean, that's a staggering number. So... Another two billion rely on septic tanks that aren't safely maintained or they're using other systems that dispose of raw sewage by essentially draining it into like open systems like fields or or rivers or whatever. So they're in a condition that is similar to the one that you were talking about with London Mm -hmm. back in the, the 19th century. So the United Nations has a division called UN Water dedicated to bringing solutions to freshwater issues, including sanitation. It's not solely focused on that, but that's under its purview. Uh-huh. And uh, their purpose is to help developing nations implement systems and solutions to improve sanitation and access to fresh water. So they're trying to help nations implement this stuff, too. They're, it's not like, you know, just jumping in and doing it themselves. They're, they're trying to facilitate. There are also some other ones. There's Charity Water, which is dedicated to bringing clean drinking water to developing countries and includes some strategies for water treatment. Its main focus is really creating ways to make clean, drinkable water, uh, but it does have a few of those projects that are related more to water sanitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's water.org, which is a charity that focuses on clean water and sanitation in developing countries that was co-founded by Matt Damon. <laughs> um, I was going to do the the uh, Team America version of Matt Damon, but... I'm kind in this case. In this, in this instance, I'm going yeah. to... I, I give him his due. Actually, I give him his due anyway. He's a 
he's a a he great seems, he seems to be like a great guy. Citizen. Yeah, like how could I even make fun of someone who is already going well out of his way to promote these sort of things? Uh, Water.org also founded a division called Water Credit, which uses microloans as a way to help fund clean water infrastructure in developing countries. And I thought that was really cool. And of course, there are a ton of other organizations, whether they're charities or foundations or political organizations that are dedicated to bringing uh, modern infrastructure to developing countries with uh, water sanitation, which you know, obviously that's a huge, huge deal. Yeah. Oh, of course. So that's the past and the and the present mm-hmm. of sewage. But what, my fellows, I ask you, is the future of sewage? So many puns. But well, I'm going to hold it's... back. No, no. Yeah, see, no. I same same here. I, I'm going to ask you, Lauren, because I have a feeling that you can tell us what the future of sewage may in fact be. I can in the grand tradition of our hosts here asking questions that only we can answer because our <laughs> notes are about that subject. I, I have a bunch of things to tell you guys about the future of sewage. Uh, first of all, Okay, so when you think about it, sewage is our very grossest biosine. Mm-hmm. It contains traces of all kinds of data about our lives and our health. It, through our sewage, you can find out like what nasty viruses and bacteria we're infected with, what good bacteria we have in our guts, whether we're on antibiotics, what other prescription and illicit drugs we might be taking. Especially if we're trying to smuggle them in our rectums. This, Especially then. This reminds me of uh, the Scrubs musical episode where they have a song that actually says everything comes down to poo. <laughs> it does. It does. We can even tell whether our bodies are stressed out. And that last one's a little bit more complicated. But in the past few years, there's been all this research into biomarkers like isoprostanes, which are products of oxidative stress in our cells and are therefore correlated with our overall well-being. That is crazy. Yeah. So we're, we're letting this wealth of data go to waste. Yeah. I'm flushed. <laughs> oh. So that was a way weaker pun than it was necessitated by that <laughs> voice. Um, but, uh, but, but there are teams that are looking to tap in to this data. Specifically, there is a research group out of MIT that has, that has really big plans for our humble sewage starting in Cambridge. Would, and would you call it a data dump? Yes. <laughs> also, I'm sure that's the first time they've heard that. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm 12. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so this this team is testing out how they can uh, collect and use our sewage to keep an eye on the on the health of the population and to predict and possibly therefore help prevent the spread of disease. So, yeah. While I make these little jokes, I think that this is fascinating. The idea that we could use this kind of information to potentially save. Thousands of lives. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so, so it's called the Underworlds Project. Awesome. And, right? Uh, no, no vampires or werewolves that I'm personally aware of. Still, I'm still okay with that. But it does involve collaboration among architects and designers and engineers and microbiologists and geneticists and computational biologists. So multidisciplinary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, these are researchers from five different MIT research labs plus Kuwait University and the Kuwait Institute for Scientific Research. And they've, they've got a two-year plan that's already in its beginning stages. Um, first, first they need to figure out the prime time or times to collect sewage. Mm-hmm. What? 
Well, because because you want a maximum of human waste in the water and, and a minimum of like household appliance waste. Oh, okay. So, so you like want to be the, getting human waste, not what's being washed off of the dishes and the dishwasher and the and the washing machine. Yeah, uh, yeah especially because that kind of stuff probably contains like detergents and cleansers mm-hmm. that are going to start uh, erasing your microbial data. Gotcha. So, okay, so like commercial breaks for the Super Bowl would be you know prime time material or. If you're in my house, the Super Bowl between the commercials would be the prime time <laughs> to grab it. <laughs> so, so what's the? <laughs> you okay, Joe? I, I'm just imagining a lot of pooping. <laughs> you know, let's not delve too deeply into my my personal history with the Super okay. Bowl. It is called the Super Bowl. Oh my goodness gracious! Wow. You are an endless font of... uh... I did an episode of Tech Stuff about toilets with Josh Clark. I could Uh, go on. I see. Okay, so you've got to figure out this this perfect time where you're, or as close to perfect as possible, where you're going to not have a diluted uh, or or contaminated source so that you can actually get valid information. Right. You want uh, pure, 100% pure. Yeah, it's as close to pure as possible, human right. waste. Yes. Got it. Uh, so, so next, they're they're going to work on building software that's capable of of blending. And I really wish I had a better verb for this because it sounds so gross when you put it like that. But of blending the data that they've pull out from the sewers with the the demographics of the neighborhoods that it comes from, in order to build a a comprehensive map of Cambridge's sewers and its population, and that's that's capable of keeping itself updated in real time. All right. So mm. not not just knowing like what information is contained within the waste, but where that waste came from. So that way, if there is a problem, you know how to address it. You can't you know, it's not just, oh, somewhere in the city, there's an outbreak of a serious disease. You would have a better idea than that. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. how to attach metadata to your poop. Yeah. 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 And OK, next robots. All right. Because you knew that there had to be robots in this episode somewhere. It has been severely lacking robots. Well, that's probably because in Cambridge, the the need for nightmen has drastically dropped. (laughs) (laughs) It's no longer a need to have someone muck out cesspools every night. Well, well, right now they're, they're out there actually collecting samples from the sewers by hand. Oh, so I guess there are night. So they're right kind now. of our nightmen right now, or night students rather. Uh, but uh, but yeah, they're they're building a set of sewage collecting robots that will be able to automatically uh, draw in, process, and analyze sewage from key sites at key times, and then upload the data directly into this software map. Uh, hmm. So I'm I'm pretty sure I haven't read like extremely specific descriptions of these robots, but the idea that I get is that yes. They are planning on sending robots that have mass spectrometers and DNA sequencers down into sewers. Uh, I'm I'm almost certain a horror movie has got to come out of this particular <laughs> scenario. I'm just not sure if it's Chud, the Terminator, or some combination. Ghoulies, ghoulies. Yeah, it could be Ghoulies. The Ghoulies, though, I think that the cover of that movie overplayed the, uh, the toilet yeah. aspect yeah. of it. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Very that's, unfortunate that's, when that happens. Luke Man. I will say, however, yeah, that's Luke the Man. only drawback the movie Ghoulies has. <laughs> it's the misleading cover of the, the, the VHS tape. Other drawbacks that I could imagine people uh, potentially objecting to surrounding the system is, 
I, I mean, okay, I, I'm sure that a few of you y'all out there are some of our crossover audience that also listens to stuff they don't want you to know or is just generally concerned about their privacy. Sure. Um, and after all, shouldn't the contents of your privy remain private? Nice. Thank hmm. you. Maybe if you're on the Privy one. Council, you can know. <laughs> the king had a whole bunch of people on the Privy Council, so... But don't worry, don't worry. Uh, the the team the team says that the system will absolutely not be able to tell what specific buildings the waste came from. Right. Only from like a larger network. Like, it's it's like going to be more on the the on trunk the, side. The trunk side. Yeah. yeah. So so essentially, you're talking about the 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 larger pathways that many different uh, businesses and households empty into before it goes on to the wastewater treatment facility. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So during this initial run, they're going to be focusing on viruses and bacteria that cause common diseases in the United States, like the flu. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really a pilot run for larger systems to be built in other places, starting with Kuwait City, uh, hypothetically, in 2017, if all goes well. The the project, by the way, is funded by a grant, like a $4 million grant from um, the Joint Kuwait-MIT Center for Natural Resources and the Environment, which I did not know existed until like yesterday and I think is pretty rad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. Um, and and in the future, you know, th- this isn't just for for the the flu. You know, like I was saying earlier, it could be used to monitor like the effects of public policy, like changes in patterns of disease when vaccines become available, mm. or when new regulations, like the the one where trans fats were banned in a lot of foods, mm-hmm. uh, whether people get healthier as a result of that. Or it could even study the way that relatively unpredictable viruses like SARS or Ebola move through a community and and hopefully use that kind of data to to help stop people from getting sick in the first place. Um, Oh, and it can give officials a way of watching businesses and making sure they're not actually putting hazardous waste out into the environment. Excellent. But hey, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) I don't think you do. (laughs) What if you do want to monitor your own waste? What if you want someone following up with you about that? I stand corrected. You were thinking what I was thinking. (laughs) I was thinking that what you're getting at is those Japanese poop analyzing toilets that I've heard about for years now. Okay, they're not poop analyzing yet. Okay. But there is a Japanese toilet company called Toto that has a line of smart toilets um, that have urine analysis units that will record your glucose levels. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and uh, they've got sensors that will record like your, your body weight and your blood pressure and stuff like that. And they can now in this age of smartphones automatically send that to, to you or of to your doctor or whatever you want. Uh, um, I just don't ever want there to be like Twitter functionality where it's just tweeting to all my oh, followers. Oh, they're going to put oh, that you know, in everything. You know, you know it's happening. You know it's happening right now. Well, I, I certainly listeners, I promise I will never activate that feature. Jonathan you say it now. just checked in at his toilet. <laughs> <laughs> the Super Bowl's on. <laughs> and then suddenly you see him tweeting a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, okay, well, not the Twitter thing, but the poop thing. Um, experts at MIT's Sensible City Lab, that's S-E-N-S-E, able, mm. sensible, City Lab, uh, which is part of the team that's working on Underworlds, thinks that in the relatively near future, there will be enough demand for for this kind of service that manufacturers will begin supplying, if not toilets to consumers that are capable of automatically doing this, at, at the very least little things that you could kind of drop in the bowl. 
uh, little huh. microsensors. Actually, this doesn't surprise me at all, just based upon the the trend we've seen of people wanting to get more data, more feedback about their daily lives, everything from how much movement they do to the stuff that they're eating mm-hmm. to how much sleep they're getting. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is something that I think is completely rational in that approach because we have this this need to quantify things in our life that previously we thought were unquantifiable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're like, oh, well, we can. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, also, there, there's so much research into um, the microbiome sure. and how important that is to our overall health, mm-hmm. not not only our, our gastrointestinal health, but our mental health right. and everything else. Yeah. I think that's a good point. But one thing that I would see in the future of waste is not just what information we can get out of waste, but smart things we can figure out to actually do with the stuff of waste. As opposed to just burning it or throwing it in a landfill. Right. We already mentioned plasma Plasma waste conversion, which is just a fun thing to apply any waste product to. Right. Uh, (laughs) But is there anything else people have proposed doing with human waste that would be relatively clean and safe and useful to do? I mean, I know there is... There were like composting toilets and things like that. But, I mean, if you're interested in that, that technology is around today. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on a larger scale, yes, there is a company out there that's processing sewage in order to create clean cellulose, which can then be used to make recycled paper, definitely, and and maybe with a little bit more materials research, stuff like road pavement or home insulation. So could you use this? recycled sewage into paper to make it into toilet paper and keep the cycle going. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Sure can. Uh, The company is called Applied Clean Tech, and and it's a truly global business. It's run by Israeli entrepreneurs out of San Diego and has facilities in Canada and Holland and Mexico and Israel. And uh, they... They, what's the word, like franchise out their technology oh, wow. to waste treatment plants to, to let mm-hmm. basically anyone who wants to and can pay for it uh, take it on. And they're currently producing six tons of cellulose per day. In the process, they claim that they're reducing um, the, the sludge formation in water treatment plants, uh, which is stuff that kind of clogs the infrastructure. It's all the all the food matter that you didn't digest and and toilet paper waste, stuff like Mm -hmm. that, Uh, they're they're claiming that they're reducing that by about 50%. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, like... That is one of the the things that I'm interested in is finding these these responsible ways to uh, to dispose of waste or recycle it in some way so that we don't just create another environmental issue that we'll have to deal with further down the line. And uh, while while, you know, we did mention plasma waste converters, and that is one of those things I just love to talk about because I had such a fascinating conversation with a guy at Georgia Tech who was one of the 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 minds behind the idea. Yeah. It's admittedly a difficult thing to sell to anyone because it's it's an incredibly expensive proposition on the front end uh, in order to get a facility like that up and running. And if you could do that and you could prove that it was sustainable in the long run, then I'm sure you would see a lot more widespread adoption. But that initial barrier to entry is so high that it remains one of those um difficult technologies to really push. Oh, definitely. Uh, so this is really cool. I think it's really interesting. And, and you know, I know that uh, this is an incredibly important, we, we've stressed it many times, it's an incredibly important uh, um, 
topic and uh, and one that that lends itself to endless number of puns. So we've had both some fun with this and and really wanted to make sure we end saying this is a really big deal. If you are interested in helping uh, various efforts that are trying to bring sanitation to developing countries, I highly recommend you do some research. Find an organization that uh, you're comfortable with. Always do research on any charitable organization. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Just make sure that they're being run, uh, uh, you know, responsibly, and they're being held accountable. And definitely do help because this is something that makes a real difference in lives. And uh, it was a really fun topic to look into, honestly. So, guys, if you have any suggestions for future topics that we can look at here on the show, email us. The address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop us a line on Twitter, Google+, or Facebook. At Twitter and Google+, we are fwthinking. On Facebook, just search fwthinking in the search bar. We'll pop right up. You can leave us a message there. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Business. It's all the things that keep this world turning. And behind every one of these companies is a partner helping to keep it all moving. It's why the local flower shop and your favorite pizza joint, the startup and the stadium, hospitals and hotels, banks and restaurants nationwide, all choose the advanced network, cybersecurity solutions, and round-the-clock trusted partnership from Comcast Business, the company that powers more businesses than anyone else. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Restrictions apply. Call or visit ComcastBusiness.com to learn more.